This is Africa Digest. Well, good afternoon and welcome to Africa Digest. You are listening to Channel Africa, the African perspective broadcasting from Johannesburg. We are on Channel 802 on the DSTV Audio Bouquet on free-to-air satellite, PAS 10, and on the internet at www.channelafrica.co.za. You can also follow us on Facebook at Channel Africa, on Twitter at Channel Africa, and on WhatsApp, plus 27763003327. I'm Tracy Bumgard in studio with Onele Nsinsi and Neto Chamani, rather Rachel Makura. Our top stories on Africa Digest this hour. Political tension and fear is rising high in Somalia. Lawmakers in Nigeria debate solutions against the atrocities of killer herdsmen in the villages. A new government is expected in the Democratic Republic of Congo after President Felix Chisikedi appointed a new prime minister. But first the news with Onele. SABC News, independent and impartial. From an African perspective. Thank you, Tracy. Nigeria's President Muhammadu Buhari has dispatched security chiefs to coordinate rescue operations for students abducted by unidentified gunmen in the northern state of Niger on Wednesday. Buhari condemned the school abduction, adding that they were yet to ascertain the number of staff and students abducted by the gunmen. Gunmen reportedly stormed a boys' boarding secondary school in Nigeria and abducted some students and staff in north-central town of Kagara in Niger State. It is not clear who carried out the attack, but kidnappings for ransoms are rampant across Nigeria, with Niger State being amongst the worst affected. The UN Security Council will on Wednesday convene to discuss the role of member states ensuring that COVID-19 vaccines are made available equitably despite conflict and insecurity in parts of the world. Over 160 million people in the world face conflict, instability and other disasters and risk not being able to access COVID-19 vaccinations, Sean Bryce Peace reports. Briefers include the UN Secretary-General Antonio Guterres, the CEO of the Gavi Vaccine Alliance, Seth Berkeley, and Jagan Chapagain, Secretary-General of the International Federation of Red Cross and Red Crescent Societies. Distribution globally has led to concerns around vaccine nationalism and a growing divide between rich and poorer countries, let alone for people caught up in places of instability. Data reveals that just 10 countries globally have administered 75% of all COVID-19 vaccines, while more than 120 countries have yet to receive a single dose. Mexico, a current member of the council, is expected to present a complaint to the body about unequal access to vaccines globally. South Africa's Health Minister Dr. Zwelim Kize has sought to allay fears over the COVID-19 vaccine program, saying government has put in place mechanisms to monitor all recipients and act quickly if any adverse side effects are detected. Kize and President Ramaphosa have received the Johnson & Johnson COVID-19 vaccine at the Kailicha District Hospital in the Western Cape Province after healthcare workers got the jab. 80,000 doses landed at the Oratambo International Airport with more doses 
expected in the coming weeks. Kize says over 400,000 healthcare workers have registered to get the jab and it's important for, for them to lead by example. This morning, the count has gone past 400,000 who have registered for vaccination. So the number is increasing much faster. So it gives me a good opportunity to go back to the manufacturers and say, guys, listen, please, let's match this. The deputy minister will take the vaccine. The MECs will take the vaccine. So when they stand up in front of us and say, take the vaccine, they'll start by saying, I've already been vaccinated. It's a very, very important message to reassure our people we have enough scientific expertise to be able to detect anything that could be a risk to our people and we will act before anybody is harmed if there is any sort. The president of Tanzania's semi-autonomous island of Zanzibar, Hussein Mwenye, has announced seven days of national mourning following the death of its first vice president, Saif Sharif Hamad. Flags will fly at half-mast during the mourning period. The 77-year-old Zanzibar politician had been receiving treatment in Mohombili National Hospital in Dar es Salaam a few weeks ago after contracting coronavirus. The authorities have repeatedly declared that the East African nation is free from COVID-19 and stopped publishing official COVID-19 data in June last year. Uh, BBC's uh, Almat Matulia has more. Dr. Mwini did not mention the cause of the death of the veteran politician, but his party, ACT Wazalendo, had declared at the end of January that he contracted coronavirus. Mr. Hamad, or popularly known as Ma'allim Saif, was the most prominent official in Tanzania to openly declare that he had COVID-19. Authorities in the country have repeatedly declared the country is coronavirus-free or that the virus is under control. Lastly, dozens of vehicles are blocking key roads across Myanmar's main city, Yangon, in what appears to be a new tactic employed by protesters. It comes as tens of thousands of people gather downtown in what organizers hope will be the biggest protest yet. The UN Special Rapporteur for Myanmar, as, also known as Bumo, has warned of potential violence. Their demonstrators are demanding the release of their elected leaders following a military coup two weeks ago. Aung San Suu Kyi and other leaders have been detained. The BBC's Jonathan Hitz reports. As they have for the past 11 days, people marched in long lines stretching back along the main roads into central Yangon carrying posters bearing the familiar outline of the face of Aung San Suu Kyi or the red and gold flag of her party, the National League for Democracy. The trial of Ms Suu Kyi was started in such haste and secrecy her own lawyer didn't know about it. She's being prosecuted on two bizarre and trivial charges in a process widely condemned as a sham. Channel Africa News, I am Onelin Zinzi. SABC News, independent and impartial. From an African perspective. Thank you, Anele. Political tension and fear is rising high in Somalia, stoking fear of mass protests and violence due to the illegal stay in power by President Mohamed Abdullahi, also known as Famajo. His unilateral decision to continue ruling Somalia follows failure by the Horn of Africa nation to hold a presidential election after his five-year presidential term ended in the first week of this month. 
James Shimanyula spoke to Mohammed Ishmael Abdinur, an expert on political and military issues in the Horn of Africa, and compiled this report. The situation remains tense in Somalia, where President Mohamed Abdullahi Mohamed, also known as Famajo, is illegally staying in power after presidential election failed to take place in the country on the 8th of this month. In fact, Famajo has unilaterally decided to extend his rule for an unspecified period, triggering fear that mass protests are likely to happen, resulting in violence. Already leaders in two of Somalia's five federal states, Puntland and Jubaland, have announced that they will no longer recognize President Famajo. And to make matters worse, leaders of Somalia's opposition alliance have rejected President Famajo's unilateral decision to extend his term of rule. Now the leaders are planning to elect a transitional leader to govern until a new president is chosen by the country's lawmakers. To get the nitty-gritty of the current situation in Somalia, I spoke to Mohammed Abdinur Ismail, an expert on political and military issues in the Horn of Africa. And this is how Abdinur summarized the situation. There is tension and there is fear because of opposition who are not trusting the government, current government which is led by Mr. Farmajo, and also those uh, head of states from Jubaland, Puntiland. They are not trusting the government of Farmajo that will do a fair and free elections. In Somalia, we have the central government which is in charge of the whole nation called Somalia. And it's a federal government. Those are regional government. They're not mandated to do what the national government can do. They are in charge of their internal affairs. The federal government, it is part of the national government. So that is the link between the national government and the federal government. It's a devolved government. This government, after the fallout of the previous government of Mohamed Siad Barre, after so many years there was a civil war, here in Kenya and Djibouti and Ethiopia tried to build a stronger Somalia and they realized that the only way that Somali can be rebuilt is just to do the federalism because there was this civil war tribe. You know Somalis have many clans and the problem was every clan wants to lead that nation. So that is the time they realized that the only solution and the best way to stabilize Somalia is to build federalism. Latest developments in Somalia come at a time when the Horn of Africa nation has expelled the Kenyan diplomats on allegation that the authorities in Nairobi are politically supporting opposition leaders that have fallen foul of President Famajo. The expulsion of the diplomats apparently means relations between Kenya and Somalia are at a low ebb. The question that I put to expert Abdinur is whether or not now that relations between Kenya and Somalia are law, relations remain strong between Somalia and the other neighboring countries. Somalia and Ethiopia now, because of the Farmajo, who is the current president of Somalia, have a good relationship economically, politically, and also security-wise. Now, Farmajo and Abiye are also their best friends, and Sudan and Djibouti, they are worried about that relationship between Eritrea, Somalia, and Ethiopia because of security and self-interest. When I come back to Kenyan interest, eh, before the dispute even, Kenya and Somalia are neighbors and they have a long border. Kenya has an interest in Somalia, especially the way the Farmajo government now are accusing Kenyan government that they want to declare 
jubilant Kismayo to be part of Kenya. So Farmajo and his team are suspicious that Kenya wants Kismayo. Kenya wants Kismayo to be part of Kenya and snatched from Somalia. Exactly, that is the fear they have the government of Farmajo, while Kenya they are denying that. Telling us about the conflict between Kenya and Somalia and how it started forcing the authorities in Mogadishu to expel Kenyan diplomats, expert Abdinur said. The conflict between Farmajo and Kenya started when President of uh, Jubaland, his term limit, his term ended and there was a by-election. Kenya supported him again to be elected, while Farmajo wanted to change that president. So the conflict started that time. Kenya stand with the current president of Jubaland, that's called Ahmed Madobe. So it have it, it went to was that even Farmajo, you know, Jubaland is consisted about Gedo and Juba. So the Farmajo hails from Gedo. So in order to to destabilize Ahmed Madobe, Farmajo brought the Somali National Army to Gedo, the region where he came from, and forced those forces which were loyal to Madobe from Bulahawa, Bardere, and all the region of Gado now are being controlled by the national government. Any violence in Somalia, Mohammed, do you think it may spill over to Kenya? I don't think so. even the violence will reach that level. Eh? Somali was in war for more than 30 years. Majority now are youth, most of them who are now learned, most of them from coming back to the country to rebuild. It will be violence, small violence, but it won't be as people are speculating. But the violence will be there, but not the one we experienced before. That was Mohammed Abdinur Ismail, an expert on the political and military issues in the Horn of Africa. Reporting for Channel Africa, this is James Shimanyula. The many atrocities of killer herdsmen took the front stage in the National Assembly as lawmakers entered a heated debate in an effort to find enduring solutions to the issue without allowing the matter to degenerate into avoidable hostilities. While the legislators took turns to condemn the various evil deeds of the herdsmen, state governors from the northern part of the country took a tour to their counterpart in the southwest to discuss the issue. Channel Africa correspondent in Lagos, Collins Nosa Atohengbe, reports. Fulani herdsmen of foreign extraction have been herding cattle into Nigeria using the Trans-Sahara route through the northern part of the country. But recent developments have seen increases in insecurity, kidnapping, destruction of the economic mainstay of Nigerians, rape, murder, and burning down of whole communities, thereby increasing the number of displaced persons within Nigeria. With increases in murder of kidnapped victims even after calamity ransoms and destruction of farms, many communities began to give herders ultimatum to leave their domain. The others packed through of violence which in turn gave rise to government's intervention at the state level while the Nigerian legislators made the issue a front burner in their debate just to find ways to prevent ethnic conflicts which the issues was fast becoming. Ogun State Governor Dakwa Abiodun wondered what could have led to the level where everyone is now put on their toes to seek avenues to avert a trend which could lead to a civil war in Nigeria. The question is what could have turned issues that hitherto had easy and workable templates for resolution to suddenly becoming seemingly intractable. And more worrisome is that this is taking an ethnic coloration. There are some of the questions 
we must find answers to at this parley. We must also come up with more practical recommendations towards finding lasting solutions. In whatever form, color or ethnic group, a criminal is a criminal. Before legislators and state governors took deeper interest in the development, many ethnic Fulanese came out with threats that asking herders to go away may cause a retaliation against Southerners living in the northern part of the country. The majority leader in the Senate, Inaya Abaribi, said no Nigerian was being driven away from any part of the country, but criminals are. No Nigerian is being sent away from anywhere. Criminals are being sent away from the forest where they are. And so, when we now come here and say, some people are sending people away. You send the wrong message out. The message is simple. Police, IG, has told us these are criminal elements coming from outside Nigeria. If somebody is a criminal and he is in the forest, what is he doing inside there? And in order to solve the problem, all criminal elements that are coming into this country from wherever they are must be flushed out. One reason they must be flushed out from their hideouts in the forest include the fact that they have abused the ECOWAS protocol on free movement of persons to now constitute a perennial criminal gangs which not only murder, rape or kidnap but are involved in the importation of arms into Nigeria. Here is the governor of Kano State, Abdullahi Ganduje. We have to take some drastic measures, otherwise we are just scratching the problem on the back. We must understand these issues. As of now, there are ECOWAS problem. There must be a means of either registering the cattle that are coming into Nigeria or preventing the movement of cattle into Nigeria. Initially, they were coming with weapons to protect themselves, but now they have taken advantage coming with weapons that they sell into the country, apart of using the weapons to commit crime. During the debate on the floor of the National Assembly, that chunk Bagus from Plateau State noted that while no one is allowed to bear sophisticated arms, the words of leaders should be seasoned with salt to avoid whipping up ethnic hostility. The Constitution does not grant any individual or group of people the right to bear sophisticated arms, but that if all public officials, regardless of their positions or status, are not cautioned against inciting or provoking the general public, they already tend situation in the country will lead to open hostilities. To this, the Speaker of the House of Representatives, Femi Bajabia Mila, lent his voice and called on leaders to observe caution in what they say on the issues. I urge all of those who have large followership of people who listen to them and respect their voices to be more circumspect about the language they use and the conversations they enable. And to political leaders, we have a greater responsibility to keep the peace in our country. And to do that, we must first commit ourselves to the cause of equal justice and fair treatment for all. Senator Chimaruke Namani, whose community has suffered tremendously in the hand of Hesman, took time to reel out statistics of the various atrocities committed by the murderous Fulani cattle herders within a given period. We have a national crisis on our hands. Between May 2017 and May 2020, there have been 654 attacks, 2,539 killed, 393 wounded, 253 kidnapped, 16 raped, 7,582 homes destroyed. That is an analysis that has been done on what has happened in this country. And I listen to us here. For us to be saying that they're not Nigerians, it's an indictment on our leadership. 
that people are coming into this country, they are maiming our people, they are killing our people, they are raping our people, and it's not acceptable. Many communities, angered by the atrocities, loss of peace and security and ability to continue with their daily economic activities for fear of being kidnapped, raped or killed by Fulani headsmen, confronted the heavily armed Fulani cattle herders to vacate their communities. What is certain is that these killer headsmen have been identified to be of foreign extractions who speak Bambara and French languages only. The Fulani of Nigerian extractions are not known to be violent. The presence of these foreign brands have heightened a devastating banditry and insecurity across Nigeria. From Lagos, I am Collins Nusato before Channel Africa News. A new government is expected in the Democratic Republic of Congo after President Felix Tshisekedi appointed Jean-Michel Samalukonde as Prime Minister. Negotiations are continuing for the establishment of a government team. The Congolese would like balanced and able of improving rather social conditions of the country's population. Jean-Noël Bamwezi reports from Kinshasa. The so-called government of sacred union, the new prime minister Jean-Michel Samarlukonde has to put in place, will be smaller than the outgoing government. That's indeed what the new head of government announced this way. The size of the government will certainly be smaller than the current one. For more, I'll be available as soon as possible for the informant to give us the result of what he did with political forces. This will allow us to discuss with their leaders. And indeed, the new prime minister met with informant Modest Bahati Lukwebo, who handed him officially his missionary report on Tuesday. Lukwebo has identified a majority made of 391 MPs loyal to President Felix Echisekedi through his sacred Union of the Nation. But the government establishment will go further, according to Modeste Bahati Lukwebo. This means it's not only those who have MPs who can be part of the government. There is the civil society, there are ladies, young people, disabled people. He will look into all this because his mission concerns the whole Congolese population. But what the Congolese people want is a balanced government and above all, a government that's able of improving social conditions in this country. Kati Kalanga is from the civil society Interplatform. The civil society Interplatform hopes to see abnegation applied to improve the social situation of the Congolese in order to implement the so-called people first vision of President Felix Antoine Chisekedi Chilombo. The expected government will definitely be known before the opening on March 15th of the Parliament Ordinary Session. It's during this session that the summer look on the government will be inaugurated. Jean-Noël Bamweze for Channel Africa in Kinshasa. Chad says it plans to deploy 1,200 troops to combat armed groups in a violence-wracked Sahel bordered zone as France eyes a reduction of its military presence in the vast volatile region. 
Burkina Faso, Chad, Mali, Mauritania, Niger and France held talks on the future of their military campaign against militant groups in the Sahel, which, according to the United Nations, have killed thousands and displaced more than two million. Chad, which is believed to have the best armed forces among the G5 Sahel nations, promised last year to send a battalion to the area. The meeting, which French President Emmanuel Macron joined by video link, comes a year after France boosted its Sahel deployment, seeking to take back control in the long-running battle. According to Remadiji Huenati, Sahel researcher at the Institute for Security Studies, the sending of Chadian troops to the Sahel's flashpoint border zone is a step in the right direction. As you said, President Deby finally uh, concretizes the, um, the sending of uh, Chadian troops uh, to the three borders zone uh, to support the G5 Sahel uh, force that is uh, already deployed there. And uh, this is coming um, almost one year after he uh, promises that uh, in the post summit in France. So I think it's a good step, you know, uh, for the the, the Sahelian countries uh, in taking more responsibility uh, in what is happening in the in the Sahel. This is one. And second, regarding the output of the summit in general, um, I think that most of the, the resolutions are in line uh, with the reality on the on the ground uh, because uh, we have been uh, expecting um, a kind of reduction of the the, the Balkans troop on the on the in the Sahel, but finally uh, the whole Balkan staff will be maintained. Uh, and uh, on top of that, uh, it have been more question of uh, political engagement. Uh, from Sahelian countries. Uh, it means uh, for them gaining back the territories that have been lost and that are controlled by uh, those armed groups. And this is very important because this should bring back uh, protection for civilians. This should also bring back uh, deployment of basic services, social services, but also deployment of development. Sure. So I think that these are very important outcomes, uh, but it's early you know, uh, to, to, to evaluate uh, the real impact of those decisions on the field. But if they come through, I mean, uh, those decisions are, are quite important. And that, that actually what we uh, observe is that during uh, the last months of 2020 and even the beginning of this uh, uh, 2021, uh, civilians have been really impacted by this conflict on the field. And one of the biggest uh, issues is about protecting civilians. And so I really hope that uh, this will happen on the field uh, as an outcome uh, of the reinforcement of the military uh, approach on the, on the ground, the sending of these Chadian troops, but also, uh, you know, the political uh, actions that have been uh, required by the, 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 Fran the French partner. Macron also said that uh, he was uh, looking up uh, to other nations, including United Nations, the African Union, and uh, the European Union under uh, the regional five-country force launched in 2017 to collaborate for military assistance. Are these expectations realistic in your view? 
that you know the the appeal from France uh, for a bro a broaden a partnership uh, in relation with the fight against uh, armed groups in Sahel uh, is not new. Uh, this started already from um, Po, and uh, I think that during the summit, uh, the, the the U.S. Uh, already um, showed have shown you know their engagement uh, to 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 also support this engagement. And before this summit, we also see that uh, other European countries are also engaging uh, through the, um, the a force that should be set uh, to 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 help. I mean, uh, the, the, the G5 Sahel uh, uh, forces. So it's called the Takuba force. And this force uh, will consist of uh, more than nine European countries, and they will be deployed on the field uh, to support uh, the, the, the National Army, the Malian National Army, uh, going in fight, but also reoccupying the territory. So I think that uh, this appeal was necessary, uh, but we also see that uh, actually, other partners are engaging, and uh, we hope that uh, this engagement will be concretized on the on the ground, uh, so to help you know, fight those armed groups uh, in the Sahel, but also deploy development uh, actions uh, to alleviate poverty and misery. Now, do you think there is a need to also push leaders in the Sahel region towards a dialogue with the militants so that uh, during this annual summit we can also see the militants being represented? Uh, I think this is a very Time now for our news headlines with Onele Nsinsi. SABC News, independent and impartial. From an African perspective. The United Nations Security Council is convening to discuss the role of member states in ensuring that COVID-19 vaccines are made available equitably despite conflict and insecurity in parts of the world. South Africa has begun vaccinations for COVID-19 using the Johnson & Johnson jab, which arrived in the country on Tuesday. And Britain is to become the first country in the world to allow volunteers to be deliberately exposed to the coronavirus in order to advance medical research into the pandemic. Channel Africa News, I am Onelins Inzi. SABC News, independent and impartial. From an African African perspective. perspective.
Thank you, Anele. The 1st of March will see the implementation of the increased annual earnings threshold determined by South Africa's Minister of Employment and Labour in the amount of about 14,000 US dollars. This represents an increase of about 400 US dollars from the previous amount, which has been in effect since the 1st of July 2014. The earnings threshold impacts on the application of provisions of the Basic Conditions of Employment Act 1997, the Labor Relations Act 1995 and the Employment Equity Act 1998. To discuss this further, we joined on the line by Tamsang Claire Miller, an associate in the employment practice at a law firm in South Africa, Cliff Deco-Hoffmeyer. Good afternoon, Mr. Miller. Good afternoon and good afternoon to your listeners. Talk to us about this new minimum wage and the earnings threshold and what it actually means. So the minimum wage for a very long time has been at around 205,000 rand. Now it's been increased to 211,000 rand. And uh, that means that more employees who earn below the threshold of 211,596.30 will enjoy bigger and more protections both, both from the Labor Relations Act, the Basic Conditions of Employment Act, and as well as other employment law legislation that we have in the country. So now in excess of the earnings threshold, and how is this calculated? So if, uh, it, it would be whether or not you fall uh, above or below the the, the threshold of 211,000 rand divided by 12. So employees, that should give you roughly around just under 20,000 rand. So employees who earn below that amount monthly on their basic salary would uh, be considered as employees who earn below the threshold and those who earn above that would be considered employees who earn above the threshold. Now, what will be the repercussions for employers who fail to comply with the new minimum wage base rate? Okay, so part of the repercussions would be, for instance, employees wanting to, uh, it, it, would, it would depend on the rights that employees want to, to exercise. For instance, those employees who uh, earn below the threshold because that's the offer between them and the employer and want to refer particular disputes to the CCMA would now have access to those um, um, would now have access to those to, to the CCMA whereas before they wouldn't have. It also means that uh, the, the 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 band of who is considered to be a vulnerable employee in South Africa is is ex- is is expanded to include people who earn below seventeen thousand six hundred and thirty three rand per month. And for instance those employees who then are employed via temporary employment services or on fixed-term contract of employment become much more protected and the band of those employees who fall within those protections in the LRA are also increased. Now let's talk about the gradual equalization of the minimum wage for domestic workers and farm workers. Yeah, I think that's a, it's, a, it's a step in the right direction. Uh, Farm workers, for instance, now would be entitled to 21 rand per hour and domestic workers would be entitled to 19 rand per per hour. This means that uh, more and more employees who work in those sectors will have a a better income and that their money will, uh, and that the 
their salaries or their basic salaries will be calculated at a much more favorable rate than was before. Before, um, we were looking at 20 rand for domestic workers and 21 rand for farm workers. What is the role of the minimum wage in reducing inequality and disparities in income in the national labor market? I think I think that one goes to the more people earn, the, the better quality and standard of living that they're able to enjoy. And so if the minimum wage is increased, uh, employers aspire to meet the minimum wage uh, where they can. And in protected sectors such as farm workers and domestic workers, it means that employees have a legal right not to earn beneath uh, the the minimum wage that has been set by, by those particular sectors. A final question is, we are seeing so many people losing their jobs now. Um, and with the minimum wage coming in to effect, would that not put more pressure on businesses and companies as well as employees? Um, it would uh, in, in, the, in the context of those employees who are in the specific sectors where, for instance, there is uh, a minimum uh, for, for hourly work. Minimum wage, however, in the context of uh, what is regarded as the threshold in South Africa would not impact uh, the employers much because employers are allowed to to offer and pay employees beneath the minimum wage. It's just that what is uh, the protections that they then enjoy in terms of South African employment legislation is much wider than those who, who earn above. Mr. Miller, thank you very much for your time. Thank you very much. Was Tamsang Tamsang Miller an associate in the employment practice at a law firm in South Africa, Cliff Decker Hofmeyer? Building Africa with love. Bujambo Africa. If there are holes in this continental ship, we are its children. Let us go and stop the holes. Let us gladly do it with our hearts. And if we cannot, then let us die. We will make a plug of our brains and put them into the ship, but condemn it never. Catch us on Channel Africa from 10 to 11 a.m. every Friday and Sundays from 5 a.m. to 6 a.m. The Global Medical Aid Agency, Doctors Without Borders or MSF, is concerned about the humanitarian situation of more than one million people who are internally displaced in Burkina Faso. MSF says the arrival of those displaced in host areas has increased the demand for water, health care, food and shelter. The situation in the city of Barcelona is said to be particularly severe. MSF's Deputy Program Manager, Ahmed Samro, speaks about some of the challenges they face. The big challenge for this population, as you know, this area is a dry area. So even in normal time, uh, access to uh, clean water, access to food are uh, really uh, some issues. So when you take the situation now where we where we have more than one million displaced people, you can imagine that the situation is worse. So, and um, because of the insecurity, some health centers have no staff. So people have no access to healthcare, people have no uh, access to clean water, people have issues to have access to food, people have issues to have access to um, uh, shelter. So uh, this situation is uh, 
for us a, a big challenge to face. So that is the big challenges that face this population. And I, I don't forget the violence itself and the, or epidemic risk that face this population. What are some of the efforts that you have been putting in as MSF? And talk us through some of the obstacles that you face um, trying to assist. Okay, I think the first obstacle for us in this kind of area is the access to the population. You know there is insecurity and um, the, the, the war is different is a new kind of war with uh, insecurity around uh, everywhere. The front line are not clear, and the, the actors sometimes uh, we have some challenge to to make sure that the humanitarian principles are respected, that the medical um, mission is protected. So the big challenge is for us is the access is that to make that to assure that the different actors respect the, the humanitarian uh, principle. So, and uh, all the arsenal of anti-terrorist laws also don't facilitate the negotiation uh, access. And then we have the, the ordinary challenges, if I can express myself by, uh, like this, uh, the supply in this area can be difficult and uh, the matching of international and national staff with uh, skills is sometimes a, a challenge, uh, particularly in the COVID context. And uh, yes, all um, humanitarian actors have the challenge to access the area, so sometimes you are... Uh, we can be alone or uh, not with many uh, uh, partners. So yes, that are the main challenge for us. And uh, um, for people who'd like to know more about the work that you're doing in, in that area and of course what can be done to prevent the situation from further deteriorating, where can they get that information, Ahmed? Yeah. Uh, now what we are doing in the area of Barcelona, that is the center north of Burkina Faso, or in the, in the Sahel, like Djibou and other area, what we are doing is to bring health care to the population. Uh, the primary health care, the secondary health care, the surgeon, and uh, also to give water, because uh, access to clean water, to clean drinking water in this area, are, uh, is very difficult, uh, especially because people, displaced people come and uh, that make villages bigger than they are. And as you know, in Africa, people have this tradition to share. So even the host population become at the end poor and face the same uh, issues that face the displaced people. So for us, we are bringing healthcare, primary healthcare, secondary healthcare, uh, and we are doing some community uh, health also, and uh, we are uh, giving, uh, supplying water in where we are. Uh, that's our main uh, uh, intervention in this area. And Fantastic. also we respond uh, epidemic, uh, sorry.
not a not a problem um Ahmed, i just wanted to ask for that um online information um, to just uh, read up a little bit more about the work that you're doing uh, sorry can you repeat um the website address that people can find more information what is the website address yes i think if you google uh, msf uh, MSF uh, OCG, and we have also the, I think on Twitter, the West African, uh, uh, MSF West Africa, you can find more uh, questions or contact uh, our uh, communication department. That's Ahmed Samro, Deputy Program Manager of the Global Medical Aid Agency, Doctors Without Borders, on the line from Dakar in Senegal, talking to Zikwana Miso. Building Africa with love. Bujambo Africa. If there are holes in this continental ship, we are its children. Let us go and stop the holes. Let us gladly do it with our hearts. And if we cannot, then let us die. We will make a plug of our brains and put them into the ship, but condemn it never. Catch us on Channel Africa from 10 to 11 a.m. every Friday and Sundays from 5 a.m. to 6 a.m. With your latest business news, good afternoon, I'm Tracy Bumgard. Rwanda's economic managers face a daunting task in order to revive the economy, which is currently in recession. Coronavirus restrictions imposed by the government during the pandemic have had a negative impact. Analysts say the economic fallout could intensify unless the government takes additional measures to spur growth. There is now a real risk of more Rwandans falling into poverty as thousands face unemployment, contend with increasing consumer prices and businesses record revenue losses. Food inflation in Nigeria has risen to 20.6% in January, the highest since September 2019. The country's annual inflation rate also rose for the 17th consecutive months to 16.47% in January, representing 0.71 percentage points increase from 15.8% in December 2020. The rise in the food inflation was caused by increases in prices of bread and cereals, potatoes, yam and other tubers, meat, fruits, vegetables, fish and oils and fats. Analysts believe the rate of inflation will slow as interest rates rise and consumption declines. Concession companies in Liberia have been warned to live up to their social development mandate or risk replacement. President George Weir says information from citizens were that MNG Gold has threatened to leave due to the construction of a bridge leading to their operations site is regretful and must be rebuked by lawmakers. Weir gave the warning during a tour in Kokoya Statutory District over the weekend. Figures released by Statistics South Africa indicate that the annual consumer price inflation increased to 3.2% in January from 3.1% in December 2020. The main contributors to the marginal increase in the inflation rate came from an increase in the fuel price, food and non-alcoholic beverages, housing and utilities, 
and miscellaneous goods and services. An independent economist, Elise Kruger, says inflation is expected to tick up higher in the coming months. Quite a spike in international oil price to levels around about $53 per barrel. And it's signaling that we're going to see fuel price hikes in the order of 55 cents per litre in, in March. And on top of that, if we look at July, we're now expecting electricity tariffs to increase by by 15.63%. So those are external factors that will start to push onto the inflation basket. In Asia, China's markets were closed for a public holiday, but Hong Kong's Hang Seng traded and rose by 1%. Japan's Nikkei was 0.7% down, while markets in India were around half a percent weaker at the close of trade. One U.S. dollars trading at 379.28 Nigerian Naira, 10.69 Botswana Pula, 108.54 Kenyan shilling and 21.59 Zambian kwacha. The dollar's trading at 5.36 Brazilian hail, 73.46 Russian ruble, 72.74 Indian rupee, 6.45 Chinese yuan and at 14.53 South African rand. The US dollar is also trading at 71 pence to the British pound and 82 cents to the euro. Gold is trading at $1,785 and platinum at $1,226 per ounce. Brent crude oil is at $63.70 a barrel. For Channel Africa News, I'm Tracy Bumgard. the globe every second there's always a breaking story what we want to achieve is a healthy and vibrant economy which can ensure full employment to our people the government concurs with the views of the black economic empowerment council report that it is now necessary to make our policies on black economic empowerment more explicit. Last May, I asked constituencies at Netle to discuss youth employment incentives. I'm pleased that discussions have been concluded and that agreement has been reached on key principles. We are on an ambitious drive to industrialize, to attract investment, and to create more jobs for the youth of our country. They don't have jobs. I tried looking for a job for a year and a half now. The challenges were periods and the, the level of education which I have. Channel Africa. Time now for our sports news with Mosibuda Makura. Good evening, sports fans, and starting off with football news. Two matches are currently, or rather, are taking place today at the Total Under 20 AFCON tournament in Mauritania. Cameroon go up against Uganda at AM at 6 p.m. Central African time, while Mozambique will play Mauritania at 9 p.m. Central African time. Both matches will take place at the Stade Olympique Nokushot.
On to tennis news, Rafael Nadal saw his bid for a 21st Grand Slam title end as Greek fifth seed Stefano Tsitsipas fought back from two sets down to reach the Australian Open semi-finals. Now the Spanish second seed was stunned as Tsitsipas claimed a 3-6-2-6-7-6-6-4-7-5 victory in Melbourne. Tsitsipas will face Russia's Daniel Medvedev in Friday's semi-final. I'm speechless. I have um, no words to describe what just happened out on the court. My tennis speaks out for itself. It's um, an unbelievable feeling to be able to fight at such a level and um, just be able to um, leave it my all out on the court. Today's uh, performance was... Um, I, st- I started very nervous, I won't lie. But... Um, I don't know what happened after the third set. I just, uh, I fly like a little bird. Everything was working for me, and I think uh, the emotions at the very end are uh, indescribable. Well, Russia's Daniel Medvedev beat compatriot Andrei Rublev to reach the semifinals at the Australian Open for the first time. The fourth seed overcame Rublev 7-5, 6-3, as, um, as his eighth seed-ranked opponent struggled in hot temperatures at Melbourne Park earlier today. That was uh, one of the definitely best matches I played uh, lately, not only here, but uh, you could take even last year. I mean, this match... Uh, it's really unbelievable because I think he was playing really good. I managed to, to beat him in three sets, even without a tiebreak, so I'm really happy about it. Nigeria's Football Federation um, President Amaju Pinnick visited the Minister of Youth and Sports Development, Sunday Dare, in the country's federal capital in Abuja to discuss, among other things, his intention to fly Nigeria's flag in the fast-approaching FIFA Council elections. Now, the NFF president brought a letter thanking the federal government for all their support and pledged to be a good ambassador of Nigeria if elected into the FIFA Council. Our Nigerian-based correspondent, Tony Obana, reports. A member of CAF Executive Committee, Amadio Pinik, is aware of the task ahead and appreciates the federal government for agreeing to support his dream. He used the occasion to also thank the President of the Federal Republic of Nigeria, Mohamed Obohare, and all Nigerians for their unflinching support since he emerged president in 2014. On his part, the minister reiterated the need for Amadio to use his position and connections in CAF and FIFA to help promote and develop Nigeria and African football at all levels. He said he is happy to see Nigerians aspire to be among the very best in the world as that is the only way the country can have a say in the committee of football playing nations. And finally, Zimbabwe's senior men and women's hockey teams have qualified for the Africa Cup of Nations tournament. Their qualification is based on the current world rankings after the qualifying event was cancelled due to the COVID-19 pandemic. Hockey Association of Zimbabwe confirmed the news on Tuesday after receiving communication from Africa Hockey Federations. Those are sports news at the SAWA. This is Africa Digest.
Well, recapping our top stories this hour, political tension and fear is rising high in Somalia. Lawmakers in Nigeria debate solutions against the atrocities of killer herdsmen in the villages. A new government is expected in the Democratic Republic of Congo after President Felix Chisikedi appointed a new prime minister. And that wraps up Africa Digest for this hour. From myself, Tracy Bumgard, producer Lebo Moswayu, and the rest of the team, thank you for listening. You can send us an email to info at channelafrica.co.za or follow us on Twitter at Channel Africa One. On Facebook, you'll find us at Channel Africa. Or you can send us a WhatsApp message to plus two seven seven six three double zero double three two seven. Well, we play out now with a song.